everyone. Welcome back to the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. Thank you so much for downloading or streaming episode number 17 with Brendan Mulligan. Brendan is the founder of Cluster, which is a mobile app for sharing private spaces and photos with your friends. He's also the founder of TripCast, which is a live photo journal to share photos with buddies and friends back home. Both are mobile apps you can find for your iPhone and your Android devices. Had the pleasure of meeting uh, Brendan when I was in San Francisco, and he and I never met before. We went to Vanderbilt, uh, the university in Tennessee, for uh, one year overlapping with each other. I'm older than him. And uh, as it so goes, sometimes you don't meet everyone at Vanderbilt that you should at the time. But we were introduced by a mutual friend, Coleman, and had never even spoken before the Influencer Economy podcast. So it's great having him on to hear his perspective, very insightful. So Brendan details his journey coming from Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, by way of Chicago to San Francisco, where he sold his first startup. And we talked about how he built his network, how he mentored other entrepreneurs with 500 startups, uh, created his ideas, and sometimes, oftentimes, hobbies and fun products became startups and businesses. So overall, I had an awesome conversation at the Cluster Home Office in San Francisco. And uh, the influencereconomy.com is our website, so you can check out all our past episodes. Last week was with the venture capitalist from Homebrew, Hunter Walk, and all my archives with creators like Shira Lazar, Bernie Burns of Rooster Teeth, Freddie Wong of Rocket Jump are all uh, archived there. And if you're listening to this on iTunes in the Podcast Center, please hit the subscribe button. I'd love for you to be a part of this community for the long run. Without further ado, thanks again, Brendan, for coming on the show. This is a great uh, story for an entrepreneur who's successful in San Francisco and how he got to where he is today. Brendan, how's it going? Going well. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We're in the uh, cluster offices on my San Francisco tour. Good. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, we went to college together. We didn't know each other in college, but we have friends in common now. Yeah. And we're talking about networking and how there's a startup community in the school we went to, Vanderbilt, is it's getting more and more people are becoming entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, and uh, wanted to start off talking about how you landed in San Francisco from Vanderbilt, where like most of my friends are like doctors and mm -hmm. lawyers and bankers. What, what brought you to the Bay Area? Um, I got into startups sort of as a total mistake. Uh, when I graduated, that most people were doing sort of regular jobs. Also, I didn't know anyone doing um, startups. And I actually, when I was at Vanderbilt, I did, I was responsible for putting on the big spring music festival called Brights of Spring. Oh, yeah. And um, did Kanye play your year? No, Kanye didn't. Um, we had you know, the years that I was there. The first big one we did was Nelly. That was like the, the coming back party for rights. And then um, we had like multiple stages and we added more days and we just made it. It was like all I did in college outside of classes. Uh, right to spring. Yeah, it was my full time, pretty much my full time thing. And I started, I got it in the music industry. And after I graduated, I went up to Chicago and worked for a record label. Um, did that for about three and a half, four years. And part of my job, it was during the time where MySpace was becoming more important and there were a lot of MySpace clones. And part of my job was actually updating tour dates and other information on the websites across all these different artist profiles. And it was just the worst way to spend my day in the entire world. I mean, I just felt like, oh my God, I'm, I feel like I'm a very competent, smart person, yet I'm spending all my day cutting and pasting information, the same information over and over and over and over again. So, Are you, are you adding friends? No, I didn't. The friend adding thing, you could actually get, you could automate that. But yeah. no, I'm adding like literally, okay, they're playing the independent uh, the in San content. Francisco and I've got to go 
at it. You know, it's great when you're working at a label to get a for the booking agency to send over. Oh, here's your band. We just booked them 30 dates. It was the worst day for me because I had to take 30 dates, put it 50, 15 different places. Um, what then, kind of what kind of bands? Uh, well, I worked for a wear record. So the big band that um, broke right around the time I was there was John Mayer. OK, um, that was right before I got there. And it was a sort of a mix of a record label and management company. So we had um, Mayer was our big record label client. They had previously broken uh, Five for Fighting and Train. So those were their sort of their it was sort of a singer songwriter time. Yeah. Um, and then we signed when I was there, the guy that I worked with the most who's this amazing singer songwriter named Matt Carney, who's was signed to the label and the management company. Um, and he's still very active and, and amazing. We also worked with the Fray early in their career. We oh, cool. Of, we brought them onto the map. I think I don't think they work with them anymore, but um, lots of like, you know, rock bands. Okay. You know, that was for the most part, it was a, uh, especially the label side, where it was really great at finding singer songwriters. Are they still around? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I think it's less active on the label side and more on the management side. Okay. That's also because. That's where the money is all gone. No one's buying records, and so the labels aren't making as much money. The yeah. managers still add a lot of value and get a totally. big cut. So, anyway, See, I left the music com- aspirations. Yeah, I left the company to really start a website. That was like, there's got to be a way to automate this information posting. That's all I knew. I wasn't technical at all. I'd built some websites, but I didn't build websites with brains. I just built like, here's information I'm displaying mm-hmm. on the web. And um, so over the next three years, I sort of happened to start a startup. I didn't know the term startup when I started it. I just knew I wanted to do this thing and solve this problem. And so in Chicago for about three years, I built this company called Artist Data that was a relatively unknown outside the music industry and relatively unimportant company in the grand scheme of things, but became sort of the, the way that musicians and managers and record labels were managing data for the musicians across the internet artistdata.com yeah artistdata.com and um really catchy name right is that with the guy out here you started no with? no that was something else uh, um so yeah that's part of the story so i did artist data i was alone in chicago i had a co-founder in nashville that w- was working on it for most of the like time a buddy from it. college uh no someone actually he was on another label that matt carney was on so okay we met through that um we had a couple people in India building it. It was just not the way you should do a startup. Like co-founders not in the same place. Yeah. We didn't raise money. We had random people in India building it. Not the code wasn't very this good. It's like 03, 04? This was 06. I started 06, it. okay. Um, by 2009, I was heavily in debt, um, completely alone because my uh, co-founder and I decided to stop working together because it was just too hard. The company wasn't really going anywhere. Um, Chicago's cold. Well, Chicago was cold. Freezing. Yeah, there was that. But there was no real community there. I mean, I think talking about community, I remember thinking... If I had lunch with one person somewhat related to startups a week, I would think it was a really good week for networking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I felt like I, I met all the great people in Chicago. But uh, anyway, so there's a few of them. Company was doing well. I had a couple acquisition talks a year prior, but around 2010, I started being like, you know what? I'm either going to raise money for it or I'm going to sell it. And um, the money I was going to raise was from Chicago. I got a term sheet that was not. And I mean, it was pretty bad compared to what I've seen recently. But for Chicago, I was like, you know, it seems like these guys are willing to make a bet. The biggest problem, though, was that it basically required me to stay in Chicago for the life of the company. And I think of, you know, you raise money for a company, you're looking at three to five year commitment minimum. So I, we just didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, started talking to a company that I'd always had a lot of respect for. And we they were part of we'd integrated with them. They were a great company uh, out of Boston. And. They had come to me before saying, if you ever want to work together, let's work together. And um, 
we sort of, it didn't take very long. It took a couple of months to figure out a way that we could do a deal. And they ended up acquiring artist data. I moved to San Francisco to open their West coast office. What company? This was called, they were called Sonic bids. Okay. They are called Sonic bids. Um, and yeah, they, they bought the company and I, it was, I went in, you know, it was just me. So we, we still had the people in India maintaining the site. The site still is up and still exists, which is amazing. We'll link to it in the description. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think you can still sign up for it. Okay. Um, Sonic bids has been sold once or twice since this all happened. So the people who actually own artist data, I don't even know if they know what artist data is. <laughs> um, but yeah, and but it was I, a passion project. It started off as like you were it started off as just I want to build a website. You were so, into it. And so suddenly I'm like, I need help. I need money. And like all this stuff. Happened. And and so then I find myself having sold the company in San Francisco and sort of starting for I was 30 and I, or I was about to turn 30. And I was like, OK, I finally feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. And then and that's when like I feel like I just sort of took the whole my whole career up a notch and, and vastly has to do with the fact that I was experienced and I kind of had. I had gotten a lot of scars through that process, but I also, for the first time, was surrounded by people who were doing what I love and knew how to help, and I could help them. And I was in a community of like-minded people. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you had more than one lunch a week with people and yeah. Startups. Suddenly, it was like God. It was like I was was if I didn't meet someone each day that was inspiring to me, I was like, oh, it's kind of a slow day. Yeah. And since the, I mean, that was four years. But Chicago's ago. changed a lot since then. And Chicago's changed a lot, and I've changed a lot. Like now, I can. It's I'm not networking nearly as much because I've sort of settled into this. I have my friends, and I ha I know I have the people I want to know. Or you know, if I need to meet someone new, generally I can find a way to meet them through an introduction. So I'm not doing as many blind networking events or anything. Mm -hmm. But it's you know, just getting to know people like is the way to kind of level up your own game. Totally. To use a gaming term, level up. Yeah, exactly. And so when you came here. How did you first build your community? Well, the nice thing is I, you know, I used to joke when I would meet people at a party. I would, my strategy was go to events, no matter how important or not important they were. Try to go to a bunch of events and try to have two meaningful conversations at each one. So I, I met a ton of people who like had a stack of business cards and they were at an event and they would meet me. And then two minutes later, they'd be like, well, nice to meet you. And they'd move on and they'd move on and they'd move on because they wanted volume. Um, and I was like, ah, if I go out for quantity, I'd end up with a bunch of business cards, but I wouldn't really know these people. So I would go around and like meet people. And if after a few minutes, I felt like we had something in common or we were going to get there was something that we had to talk like we actually had something to talk about as opposed to being like, what startup do you do? What startup? Yeah, um, I would stay there and I would just talk to them all night. And then so usually it would be like after I'd had two conversations, where I was like, I can't wait to have lunch with that person. And these are people that some of them who were way less experienced than I was, but just people I actually thought I made a connection with. I'd leave. Mm -hmm. be like, OK, Tuesday. That was it. Yeah. I mean, it would usually take a few hours, but. I was happy, you know, it wasn't like I ran out the door right away, but I was very happy with You're them. satisfied. Yeah, I was like, I, this is great. Um, and so that's really just starting to do that. The The nice thing is when I was in Chicago, I was like, what do you do? And I was like, I run this meaningless company that for you. Like the only people who knew what I was doing and understood it were bands or music mm -hmm. industry people. So if I was at a tech event, it didn't really matter mm -hmm. like what I did. When I moved here, you know, I used to joke saying, Oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, I, you know, I started this company. I sold it to another company. In other words, I started a relatively unimportant company and sold it to another company for a relatively low amount of money, the company that you've never heard of. Yeah. Like, none of these things matter. But what they heard was you built something on your own. Yes. And someone else thought it was valuable. Enough. Totally. And that got me just. It's an entrepreneurial story. It, yeah. It was like, cool. Okay. So you're competent. What do you work right. on now? Yeah. And so people were interested. building because it sounds like really transactional. Yeah. If you talk about anyone who's not an entrepreneur, what you do. Yeah. It's like, oh, you launched a website and you got acquired. Yeah. But it's like, no, blood, sweat, tears went into the website. Yeah. 
and you know, I talk, you know, it took three and a half years. And so people yeah. were like, oh, so you actually give a shit about what you're doing. And you were entrepreneurial without even thinking you were yeah, an entrepreneur. I, I, I used to build websites when I, I've always sort of been like, how can I make money on the side? Uh-huh. Much, many, many stupid ideas for that. But, yeah. But the, I think it was the whole, I got here and I actually had some sort of a story and that led me to some cool opportunities. I ended up becoming a mentor for Dave McClure's 500 startups oh, cool. like, when it launched. Where they're, what was that? It was around 2010. And they were just like, they wanted, they asked me to join because they're like, well, you just sold a company. You could probably help some of our companies in that process. And it, I didn't know anybody, but somehow I was allowed into that world. And that helped my network a ton because that was sort of a pre-qualified list of people who were allowed to be mentors. And they were vetted. You were yeah. vetted. And Dave's built this amazing community. With mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, it's gotten enormous right now, which is incredible for the people who are part of it. But at that point, it was even, it was kind of more incredible for the people who were part of it at the early stage because you were like, we yeah, all birthing we, it. We all got into this little tiny club. Yeah, so it was cool to meet people that way. Um, and so, when you were at 500 startups, you were mentoring people. And what kind of companies did you gravitate towards? Were there any specific types, uh, or what type of entrepreneurs? A lot of the companies gravitated towards towards the mentors. Like when you join, you're like, you know, now it's a lot more. But at the time, it, we had, there was like 70 mentors and 10, 15 companies. So the, they would say to the companies, like, look at the mentor list, see who would help with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I was always talking to music companies. I'm an advisor for a company called Will Call that came out of 500 startups that um, they're sort of like a hotel tonight for tickets. And okay. They're like trying to reinvent the whole experience of going to a bar and going to a show. And it's yeah. A great little, a great team. I know them. And those are the types of companies because they're yeah. like, wow, you know what, how screwed up the whole music industry is. Right. And so, you know, it was a lot of media type companies were the ones that I was helping. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's like mentoring an incubator. You, it's a couple weeks of the couple hours of the week. Most of my time was spent at Sonic bids remotely prototyping. And that was like kind of, I was learning to code. And so as I was learning to code, I was like, why don't I start prototyping? Cause their technology stack was a little bit hard to build on. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's why a very I, diplomatic way of saying it. Yeah. And I was like, why don't I just, if I have an idea, I'm just going to build like a clickable prototype and we can all talk about it in a meeting. Okay. And I'll just send it to you. And we don't have to talk about what it might do. I'll just send it to you and you can see what it does. Yeah. It's all dummy data. But so that allowed me to like really like amp up my programming chops. So you're making money and then you're mentoring. Yeah. The, and the mentoring again is like, a, but how was that? What's it like mentoring a bunch of people with ideas and you, you yourself at that moment coming off your idea that got acquired? I, th- I love it. Um, if the, I think it a lot. It all depends on the person you're mentoring, uh, or the team, because like I've had some, whether it's being an advisor or a mentor in an incubator. There's certain times where I feel like I'm adding a lot of value, and the team's utilizing me in the way that I think I should be utilized. There are other times I feel guilty because I haven't seen the team for a while, and I'm like, why? Why am I even a, on your team? Why am I a mentor for you if you're not going to actually use me? Uh-huh. Um, so there, were, it's it varies. So I would have sometimes when the the companies I'd meet with would be like, here's what we're building. We've gotten this far where we have a problem because we don't understand this user interface challenge. And can you help us with this challenge? I love those times because you can really dig in, like roll up your sleeve and say, okay, like let's actually mock this up. Let's start sketching. Or maybe it's, we're at the stage. We need to start talking to record labels. We don't know what to say. And we can start strategizing. There's another realm of like, and I, sometimes people ask to have meetings and stuff and they're like, I want to get together because I want some UX feedback. And I'm like, what do you want feedback on? They're like, you know, just the app. And there's not like a specific yeah. problem. It's just they just hope that I can help make it better. Yeah. And those meetings are harder to take. So you want like direct questions. It's, and... it's just it's better when they're like, you know, we vetted you. And we know that this is what you're good at. Therefore, we want to sit down with you and spend 30 minutes talking about that thing. As right. As opposed to being like, you know, some, I'll get form letters being like, I'm going to be in San Francisco and you seem like someone interesting to meet. And it's like, I, I don't want to I want to help. I don't want to just be like 
just meet me to like check off another box of um, talk to this guy and maybe something will come. Uh So I think mentoring and advising is always more fun when you really do find a good match that can actually utilize your skill set as opposed to like some people who are just like, oh, we just want more people who have sold companies on our on our mentor list. Are you still a mentor for them? Um, I'm less involved. Um, it's been four years. The first couple of years I was really involved. And then the whole mentoring program of 500 startups became a little bit less, less involved for everyone because mm. they got a lot There's more, more so, mentors. Yeah. So it's like they have more startups with a lot more mentors. So at the beginning I was one of 70, I think at one point I was one of 300. And so the companies, uh, they're the ones who pick and choose the mentors. So I kind of always say I've got an open door and anyone wants to talk to me, regardless if they're 500 startups or YC or whoever, like if mm-hmm. someone's doing something interesting, I'd love to help, but they have to reach out to me with like a real purpose. So right. it's not, and 500 startups is down in Mountain View and I'm up here, I'm never down there. So I never did office hours there, which was kind of a negative on my, like I should have gone down and spent more time there when uh, at the beginning, but I just never get down there. And what happened, far. what happened between, so you sold your company, you were a mentor, mm-hmm. like what was the next phase? So then I, at Sonic Bids, I was prototyping. About a year later, I left Sonic Bids, and I just was tired of, I was commuting across the country every month. This is in Boston? Yeah, it was in Boston. Um, like Cambridge? No, they're right in, like, uh, uh, South End. Okay. Um, I loved, it was a great place to work, and the team was great, and I liked helping musicians, but I just didn't, the commute was too much, and I would. I How far are you going? I was probably spending at least a week there every month. Okay. Um, it's a grind. It's just, yeah. It's, just, it's hard to, like, maintain relationships. And, yeah, it's just, it was. Yeah, it was like, it's a grind. Yeah. And so, um, and so I decided to like keep prototyping on my own outside of Sonic, but so I just started like building little ideas that I thought were interesting. A friend of mine started helping with like kind of code review for me. And I built a couple Instagram products that were around photos, um, a couple Instagram web viewers that before Instagram had a website and that was fun. Oh, cool. It was like super easy because the Instagram API is a nice place to start. What was the website? One was called Photopile, which was like a very visual, fun way of yeah. looking at the photos. One was called um, Webbygram, which I actually built like when I was on a different time zone at a conference and I didn't want to sleep because of jet lag. But they were just like <laughs> stupid little projects. You wanted to maintain your hours in yeah, the U.S. Yeah, I wanted to maintain my hours. And so it's just like, I'll stay up till six building this because I'm flying home in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then I built one called Morning Picks, which is still one of my favorite things I've ever built, which all it does is grab an Instagram photo you've taken in the past and send it to you. Is it still it's out still, there? Yeah, I think Webbygram, I don't think Webbygram actually works anymore. And I don't know if Photopile works anymore because Instagram's changed the API so many times. But morning pics, I keep updated because I love it. That's awesome. Like, every morning at 7 a.m., you get some photo you've taken in the Just past. randomly. Totally random. Um, with all the likes That's and comments. Cool. You kind of like revisit that So if like three years ago, you're at Coachella and yeah. you see it. It's awesome. And like one day you'll get three years ago, the next day you'll get 73 days ago. Uh-huh. Um, so you're building like stuff you're, you're into. It's like passion hobby fun project not getting paid not intended to be startups no it was um just like living off savings and stuff and then i launched this thing because i wanted to learn about other apis outside of instagram i launched this thing called one sheet which was essentially the opposite of artist data artist data you put all the information into this database and we put it on every site one sheet i built it um it was a similar framework to about.me where you sign up for the service you give you put in your twitter name your facebook name who you are on these different services and then we suck the information in okay and you have this single landing page website that's that you don't actually maintain any information on so it's sort of a hope he'll set it and forget it type thing like just set up the page and you, you go back to tweeting but yeah you, you can set this as your home page it aggregates your twitter feed yeah. and because I was, I was speaking at all the tech conferences and we were always saying to bands, don't rely on Twitter or Facebook as your main customer list. Right. Always build your own email list. Yeah. Use your website. And a lot of bands e- would be like, how the hell do we send Email's the best conversion for my podcast. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, 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 a it's gold. Marketing. It's so undervalued though. People think they need to have like a million Twitter followers. And yeah. 
And the problem is like this was right around the time where like MySpace had died and suddenly like these bands that had built these MySpace user bases, like they were just disappearing. Yeah. Like, you're trying to get people to follow you or go to Facebook and we we're like, just get them to sign up for your email list. So one sheet was intended to be sort of an easy way to like set up your own site so you can collect emails. And it just because of my last previous experience, because I'd launched some other products, like everything I built, people noticed me a little bit more and like TechCrunch started picking stuff up that I was building. Just and how did you get to start speaking at tech conferences? Like uh, music, the music uh, world is pretty small. So like, I, you know, Artist Data, like I said, it was, oh, music tech events, music tech events were like the easy way to start because everyone used Artist Data. Right. So, and then I sold it to a company that had even more artists and they so. have a PR company and yeah. they could get you booked. Yeah. No, I, it was still just me. I got it was. invited to stuff, but um, then I launched one sheet. Like I was just continuing to add value. And so they, you know, when we, there was a music tech event, like, how do you get, how do you start music products? Like there was very few people who had started three or four. So you're early. Yeah. Um, Anyway, one sheet ended up exploding because uh, my profile got a little bit bigger, both in tech and music. So it was on TechCrunch. And like by the first month, we had 10,000 artists, which took like a year and a half with artist data. And so that became a startup kind of that um, actually uh, brought on someone to help me sort of. A, Yo, I, was, I was talking to what's his name? Ryan Marshall. Yeah, Ryan. Um, kind of a late stage co-founder. Uh -huh. like I, I just didn't expect this to be a thing. And he's got a great he's an amazing engineer and he's got a great background in music. So it was perfect for us to work on it together. Um, but it was always to me, like for the most part, a side project. And I was like, you know, kind of said to Marshall, if you ever want to take this and make, make a big thing. And he was like, well, I'm not, it's like, I'm an engineer. I'm not like a CEO. I don't want to be a CEO. I was like, okay, well, so we just made it this like fun side project and it brought in some money and it was a fun thing that we did for a couple of years or a year. And then that was acquired last year by someone who basically we started taking their business because they were building more sophisticated websites that artists didn't really need. So people were part of us were like, why don't we use this free service? Or we had like a premium model, little premium model. And so this company bought it as like a feeder. And so, so then there's this theme I'm with a lot of people I talk to on the podcast. They do things they're into, they're passionate about on the weekends or just in their spare time, like in India, mm -hmm. you know, but and then it helps shape their career because then they actually work on stuff they care about. Yeah. And so people are stuck with jobs they hate, but people that are curious, like, like yourself trying to figure out, like doing something you like, like how does that then help your job now with you know, starting cluster because um, it doesn't change how you think because you're not going to take a job you don't really care about. Yeah, no, yeah, that's definitely happened. Right? And and cluster it was the same kind of thing. I started cluster as a side project with uh, Taylor Hughes, who's my co-founder at cluster. And it was like he was he wasn't working. He had just left a job. I had designed this little thing when I was on a vacation and it was inspired by a trip that I actually went on with Taylor and another friend. Where'd you go? We went to Southeast Asia and we like just had a hard time getting our photos together afterwards. Uh -huh. It was a stupid little problem, yeah. but we're all nerds and we couldn't do it in an easy way. So we're like, let's just, let's spend a couple months building something that we think will solve this. And yeah. We did it and we launched it to friends and friends thought it was cool. And so we put it on TechCrunch and people thought it was neat. But then started, people started having these like really interesting use cases where instead of just aggregating events after a, um, aggregating photos after an event, they started using it for, I'm going to build a cluster for my family and we're going to share every day for the next three years. Like they, it was a, it was sort of oh, a private social network. Yeah. And it was being used heavily by new moms who were like, this is where I'm going to uh, dump all of my baby photos to the people who want to see a hundred baby. And photos. it's major life events. Yeah. Um, and so that was really interesting to us. This whole, like it sort of was being used like Facebook, but it was like a Facebook group without having to worry about, did I share this to the group mm -hmm. or all my friends? And so that's when Taylor and I decided, like, this is cool. Let's do this. We like working together. We really like this product. We think we're building something interesting. So let's let's do this for a long time. And there are two ways to do it. We either start figuring out how to make money off of it, which anyone who's ever done a photo startup probably knows that it's very rare that you can do that at the very beginning, or we raise money. And so we went out and raised money from some great investors who uh, 
who believed in what we were doing. And so that's oh. what we've been doing for the past year. When did you raise the money? Um, we The round closed in May of uh, 2013, I think. And we announced it in, in August. Um, very small round. Of, it was We raised a million and a half, a little over a million and a half bucks. But um, it was a very small round from a check total. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we... The lead investor is the guy who saw and invested in Instagram before anyone else. Um, so he gave us sort of the validation of, wow, you're doing something in an area that I understand and it's unique and it's interesting and let's let's go after this together. That's cool. Um, and then uh, Freestyle Capital, which is a great founder-friendly fund that um, a couple of ex-entrepreneurs who are just incredible and supportive and great CEO coaches and executive coaches for us and have gone through the ropes and kind of know the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. Um, first round capital who has a great network and we had some good friends over there and they have, they're able to help us with recruiting and That's great. like plug us into a huge community. And then, um, uh, Google ventures put a little bit of money in and so did Sherpa. Oh, nice. So it was just like a few, it wasn't a big ground We didn't do like a bunch of angels. It was, we tried to make it very simple. And then you blog as well. Yeah. We try to write, we try to share. I saw your TechCrunch article. Yeah. Like I've been writing for TechCrunch for a few years and it's TechCrunch start like it's a mix of like opinions, which. You know, I have my opinions and so does everyone else. And sometimes when I show them to TechCrunch, sometimes they're like, oh, you know, this might be controversial. It's something we want to post. But recently it's been more um, sharing things that we're learning here because, you know, I've been doing this now for you know, almost 10 years and we're still making mistakes on a daily basis because we're now working in mobile where we ne- I never did that before. Mm-hmm. We're learning all this stupid shit that I wish I would have known when we started this. Yeah. So we're just trying to like, when we have time, dump a bunch of information out. So I did a series on how to conduct user research sessions with like random strangers from Craigslist. Um, we did one where we, we've learned a lot about push notifications. Yeah. My brother read that. He said it was helpful. Yeah. It's like around like, how do you get people to accept push notifications? Yeah. And if they don't not screw you for being able to ask them again, so right. we just shared some stuff we learned. What about, about your controversial stuff? Like what, what's that? Uh, I mean, it's more, I did a post a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago around like, I have a very strong opinion of Google Plus and I and what is good about it and what's bad about it. And Google Plus has a very, very like people either hate it or they love it. Yeah. And I kind of the, the post I did was more geared towards I think Google Plus has a huge opportunity in private sharing that Facebook doesn't have because Facebook's perceived as a public place. But Google, because you have your email there and you have your work documents there, like Google is a private place. Yeah. People. You trust totally. Google with your information. Absolutely. A lot of people don't trust Facebook. And so I think I was like, Google Plus is a nightmare because they just copied Facebook. But Google Circles and Google Groups and some of the Google products really fit this private sharing thing that I wish we could tap into a giant user base like Google. And I was like, we're, we're going after it. But if I was Google, I'd be, that's where I'd be focusing my social mm-hmm. time because you see Facebook struggling to get more private. Um, and I think Google actually has some, some pretty good headway and like some tools to do mm-hmm. it. I just think that the whole Google plus here's my giant feed and I'm trying to make friends and all It's just, yeah. I don't, th- I think that Facebook has won that war and I think they need to give up on uh-huh. it. I think they could easily go into like, we know who the people you're emailing. We can help you build these. Private yeah. Social networks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I post that on TechCrunch and there's a hundred people telling me that I'm the worst person. Oh, that's great because, though. Polarizing. Well, because they're like, Google plus already does this. You don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Like, really? Everyone uses Google plus <laughs> and, some early adopter yeah. geeks are coming after you. Yeah, And people, that's just the way TechCrunch is. I mean, I did another post. I, Cluster was initially born out of an app called PhotoBank that I wanted to build, which was full photo backup. Take all the photos from your computer and your phone, put them in the cloud, replace them with low resolution versions that you can access anytime. But if you want the high res, you have to grab it from the cloud. So then your computer or your phone is in your hard drive isn't clogged up. Dropbox is a solution, but not a good one because it has to stay in sync. So if you have 100 gigs of photos on your computer, you have them in your Dropbox. They're still on your computer. Yeah. Um, 
I think with iCloud Photo Library that Apple's going to be releasing, I think they will solve it the way I would want to solve it. So I did a thing where I was like, I think they're probably, they're finally going to do it. So of course, all the Google and Microsoft people came after me. I was like, Google's already solved this and Microsoft's already solved this. And I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm an <laughs> Apple fanboy. And I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I just think Apple's going to make it easier. Yeah. Their services. So why write though? How does that help you with building community and your company and just you? Well, I think it's good to show that, you know, like we're doing like, you know, the, the reality of a photo app is unless you're an explosion app, like everyone's like, how are you doing? Is it working? Is it not working? And, um, we have an amazing user base with cluster and it's growing. And your, it's, I went into your iTunes, your, uh, your app comments and they were like really passionate. Yeah. People love someone gave you like two stars and they were so mad your product update. Yeah. But they were really invested people. We have a really, really wonderful, it was user really base. fascinating to see the subculture. Um, How did you market it and reach those people? It's just, it's sort of market. You just got to get the one person who is going to use it meaningfully and then they're going to invite people and it's just kind of works, but we've got a great user base with cluster, but it's not Instagram. Right? Yeah. And so, um, so we're constantly like trying to figure out ways to both market the company, market the product, market ourselves to like show that we're like keep people yeah. interested, interested in what we're doing. Um, and so like sharing what we're learning is great because we get to sort of give back to the community. We get to start a conversation. We get to have people like look at the, the product again because you look at my post on iOS permissions, every screenshot is cluster and we, yeah. we got a huge bump in users when that thing went viral. You did. It was, yeah, it was, and it was great because the people came in, they're like, oh. You know, it's not and maybe people aren't coming in because they want to build a private social network. They want to come in and like look at a really well built app. And then we get all these people sending feedback like I really love how you do this, but I actually think that this would be better. And it's like that's cool. Being part of any conversation is better than not being a part of a conversation. And so I think sharing our views and talking about what we're doing, like it also like makes us form an opinion, makes us form a stance like, on how we feel about certain things and how we think the world should work. And, you know, we 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 already talk about it internally, but it's nice to put it out there. Mm -hmm. like, and there's no risk. Yeah. It's well, not I mean, like the, the risk. There is kind of a risk because I kind of call out, you know, I call out Google in a really uh, that this product they built isn't working or it's a piece of shit or whatever, whatever I'm going to say. And there's a risk of like we want to partner with them on certain. Things. Oh, no, I'm yeah. saying more about like showing cluster, like you're oh. going through your frustrations or your oh, learnings. Yeah. It's like you're educating people. Yeah. It's not like people are still your ideas yeah. and you're not, you know, yeah. you're no, already I've, out. I've never I mean, I. I've never worried about the stealing ideas thing. Yeah, but. people get so hung up about that. Yeah. I mean, most people who have done this for a little bit don't anymore. Unless it's something, like, really special. Yeah. But, I don't know. So we we only have five minutes because okay. you got to go. I wanted to just love to get your opinion on, like, marketing. You mentioned marketing yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, how, What advice do you have for people like in tech that are trying to market themselves to get on panels or to get their ideas out there to broader audiences to write on TechCrunch? Like... Uh, the first piece of advice would be to not let it consume you because I feel like I did for a, in some, I remember it was like at least an hour of my day every day was spent like what conferences should I talk at and who do I know who knows those people and it takes a lot of time if you're going to do it on your own to try to like be a thought leader and like that you're creating yourself as a thought leader. When I was in music tech, I was like, oh, I want artist data. I want to talk about artist data more publicly. So therefore I need to become a thought leader. Therefore I need to talk at more conferences. So I need to get into the conferences and I have friends who just have put their head down and worked for a bunch of years and they're constantly being asked to talk at the conferences because they actually are thought leaders. Uh -huh. So before you kind of are called to talk on the things like it's, there is a proactive piece of it and the best way to do it is just to show how you're going to add value. So I don't like, I'm not asked to speak all over the world uh, on in a way where like people are reaching out from countries I've never been to. I mean like, come talk to us. But when we went to Hong Kong together, I found the incubator. I reached out to an incubator there. I said, Hey, like we'd love to, you know, maybe spend a couple of days co-working. We're happy to mentor some teams if you want. I'm happy to give a talk. I can give a talk on launching products. And so 
I kind of went to them with a, I'm happy to come and spend 45 minutes talking to whoever you want about this topic. Yeah. And it's very easy for them to be like, either no, we don't want to hear about it. I've never had anyone say no when I've like volunteered my time and had a topic that's easily digestible and generic for what, you know, for what they want. And I think it's hard for me to get a speaking slot in San Francisco still because this town is full of amazing people. But if I go to Chicago, I've got a story about how I used to live in Chicago. I, I started a company in a, a smaller community. And so like there's a there's something to share there. If I'm from Baltimore, if I go to Baltimore, I could probably easily go and speak because I could talk about what it's like to raise money in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So for people who are trying to get going, like it's especially if they're in a hyper competitive place, like they could just leave the hyper competitive place to speak about what it's like to be in a hyper competitive place. Yeah. And people in other places love hearing about it. Interesting. So I think it's just, you got to figure out what topic will be interesting for different. I'm talking, I'm speaking in Portland in a couple of weeks and I asked them, I was like, what do you want me to talk about? Where are you speaking? Um, it's uh tech fest Northwest, sort of like a South by for Portland where there's a music festival on a tech festival. Oh, cool. So I, so I spoke there last year. I did a um, fireside chat with my friend, Joe stump who lives up there and um, old CTO of dig and has done a bunch of great, great startups and lives up there now and this year i'm just going to give my own talk and i was like well, just tell me about the crowd and they're like well it'll be half will be tech people half will be sort of people interested in tech and it's a challenging crowd because i'm not sure it's easier when someone says like they're all early stage people who have yeah a bunch of products. yeah but this one i'm still kind of putting together okay well i'll do sort of a these are things i've learned that could be a if you're a vc it's interesting or if you're a potential angel investor you think about investing in tech or if you're just interested in the portland tech scene like how can i it's harder. So it's much easier to be like, I want to go speak at a tech festival. I want to be on a panel around distribution. Right. You know where you can yeah. have value. You just find the places that might need it. And then as far as like you said, you would go to events when you first moved here and meet, have two meaningful conversations. What beyond that, like advice do you have for people that are trying to like build their network in person? I think it's just being genuine. I know it's kind of cliche, but you know, I never got it. I, I saw people who would go around and like talk bigger than they were. I think it's it, you never want to put yourself down, but like to pitch that you're some really, really important person. You've done all these important things. And like if you believe it, of course, that's what you're going to say. Yeah, you're genuine. Yeah. But if you don't believe it. And you just think that like hustling, you know, your a personality that isn't yours isn't going to get you somewhere. Like I never found that to be very effective. And I felt like, you know, find the meaningful connections and then look, farm them. Like, I, you know, I I was introduced to a guy who's an angel investor here. We went out for drinks and lunch and we became friends. And then every time I wanted to meet someone, I felt comfortable asking him because he knew I was awesome. And so right. I, like, I need to, I want to meet the lawyer of this guy because I've heard he, he's a really great guy or I've heard he could help. And so it wasn't hard for me to ask this guy like, Hey, can you introduce me? Because right. He knew that I was awesome. It wasn't like you weren't a taker. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's like, as long as you're in my experience, as long as you're creating something interesting, you don't seem like you're here to suck off the community meaning like just like fester, like just take like right now, San Francisco is really a, uh, is it like a, in a bubble situation? There's certain people who come here because they love building products and they want to be a part of this amazing community that's been built. The other people that come and they're like, Ooh, there's opportunity and there. I can, I'm going to come and build a stupid startup and Facebook's going to buy it. And like, I'm entitled to sell my company for millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And those people come and like kind of suck off the energy of the community. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're generally the people that you can tell. So if you, because those aren't genuine people, they're not here because they really want to build something. They're here because they're like, I can take advantage of this opportunity. So they're like a bullshit detector. Yeah. Try to feel people out. Yeah. So if you, if you want to like, you know, build your network, you find interesting people, you build meaningful relationships over time. And over time, you'll see your network get pretty interesting. And what about people for, you mentioned your friend that you can ask for a favor. Mm-hmm. When do you think you reach a threshold with people where they're like, okay, I can, I'll help them or they'll help me without really questions asked. 
I think a lot of people, they ask for too much from some people or they are afraid to ask. Yeah. The hard part is when I moved here, I couldn't really help anyone else. Yeah. Right? Like I could go out to lunch with a, a great VC and be like, and ask for an intro. And I'd be like, you know, everyone always says like, well, let me know how I can be helpful. Everyone says that. And it's really nice to say. I hate that actually. A lot of times you're like, I, you can't be because I don't, I don't, I don't know how you can be helpful. Yeah. But, but I know that you're trying, but like at some point I, I kind of accept like, I can say that to the VC. Totally. But the, I can't be helpful to the VC. They yeah. They have a million more people. Exactly. So I just tried to be appreciative and not ask for very much and be very careful what I asked for. And then if I did say like, could you introduce me to this, this person? follow up, be like, I got a lot out of that meeting. Thank you so much. Here's some interesting things. Or like if I found some, an article that the VC might enjoy, I sent it over and be like, I'm not trying to bug you, but I thought this is reminds me of our last conversation. Like just showing that you actually care and are listening. It's basics. You, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not rocket science. It just seems to, it seems to work if you're genuine. Okay, cool. Well, 501. Cool. Perfect, Perfect, dude. This is great. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. I love seeing the office and uh, the dog from Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. We have a dire wolf in the office. <laughs>